Today's guest on the podcast is Dustin Lawson. He was fired by the White House because he created a satirical political party called the Logos Party. This party reflected the type of reason-based politics that promotes intellectual diversity that he wished our country practiced more of. Since being fired, Dustin wrote a book called The Logos Party, Dr. Democracy's Reasoned-Based Political Party for Independent Minds. I hope you all enjoyed this episode with Dustin Lawson. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Hi, Dustin. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So you are in a noisy coffee shop. So any background noise, because we had to pull them out of work because I had a sick kid yesterday. So just wanted to make sure everyone didn't think you were in your bathroom or something. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. So we met in New York City and it was just kind of a funny story that we don't have to get into. But um, tell me a little bit about the Logos Party. Sure. Uh, Last January, I was furloughed for a month sitting at home and after catching up on Game of Thrones I just I got tired of that and I <laughs> get frustrated with the current political climate and I was like why can people who have differences of opinion not have better conversations with each other and so from that I mean I've, I've written books before I just started fleshing out the idea for a satirical idealistic political party where um, differences of opinion was actually welcome because everybody brought all their different views onto the same foundation of reason that made them all um, admit that they could be wrong, challenge their own beliefs, welcome being challenged, and actually see their worldview as a work in progress so their mind was open to being changed. And so they actually um, liked intellectual diversity because I like to quote Thomas Jefferson who said that um, differences of opinion lead to difference of opinion lead to inquiry and inquiry to truth. And so from that, I created this satirical party and Logos was the the name I chose because it's the ancient Greek word for reason and the origin of the word logic. And so this political party, where were you working at the time? Uh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation. It's downtown DC off of Franklin Square. It's uh, specialized in foreign development. But I was appointed, I was a speechwriter for the CEO and the VPs of the organization, but I was appointed to this position by the White House. And yeah, so I was there for about 18 months after my, after I was on a mission in Puerto Rico, um, with the, one of my last mission with the military. And so what, what happened once you created this satirical party? And when you say satirical, like what, what exactly right. does that mean? Right, right. Like, I mean, it's not, it's not, okay, it's not, it's not open for membership. It's not a real party. It's just idealistic of what I wish our politics functioned like. And so satirical is kind of, it means you're making fun of it. I'm not directly making fun of it, but by creating this idealistic view of what I wish politics was like, 
Um, it felt like I was making fun of the current state of just how dogmatic the two parties and get with one another that they I call it they have dogma versus dogma arguments instead of reason with reason conversations. And so it felt satirical, so that's why I call it satirical. And but, did that have any consequences for you? Uh, it did, yeah. I uh, I spent most of the last spring, um, like in just in my off time in the weekends and the evenings sometimes developing this and then I finally created a website for it and put even created some social media for it. Went live with it on July fourth. I went live with it the July 4th that morning, and I walked to the Lincoln Memorial because that's when the president had his Salute to the Troops event, and um, I got to, was pretty close to the stage because of my um, status as an appointee from the White House, so it was just it was kind of ironic that that morning I went live with that, and then I uh, went straight to the Lincoln Memorial, but I did a few radio interviews, and one of them, I didn't do an interview with them, but they were... Um, a conservative host who did not approve of what I was doing in my email pitch to him and sent me a pretty scathing email on July 23rd and said if I didn't stop then promoting this idea, even though it's not open for membership and it's not a real party, then he would contact the White House press office because he knew them. Well, July 23rd was a Tuesday on July 26th, which ironically the day after the infamous phone call between the Ukrainian president, yeah. um, I went into work that morning early about 7.45 and had an email from my boss that said, off meeting my office 9.45, um, and that was it. And I, I immediately knew. I was like, oh, man, that guy contacted the White House. This you is it. You were done. Yeah, so I spent the next hour emailing myself everything off my government computer I wanted because um, I knew as soon as I walked into her office, I was pretty sure I was never going to be able to log back into it again. So if I wanted anything off of it. And sure enough, that's what happened. And um, it shows that I resigned because I didn't do anything wrong, like harass, harassment or anything. It was, and they don't even, the organization probably doesn't even know why the White House let me go. The White House just tells them this position is no longer needed. And as an appointee, instead of a government position, it's not protected. It's, it can be, they don't have to give you a very good reason. And all it says is that my position was no longer needed. So I don't for sure know why, but coincidence it seemed a little too coincidental the timing of how everything happened so what was the timing between the radio show and the firing like three days before when i got that email yeah and there was like no indication before that that your no. job was in danger no. and it's I like just... in the government too like you don't i mean i guess people in this climate get fired all the time but yeah it's yeah, uh, yeah. I, honestly i, I think I've, i'm gonna stop using that i was fired by the white house and pitches to the media because i think that, like the washington post i got the feeling they're like yeah yeah yeah, we're tired of talking to people who've been fired by the white house <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say like i was about to say i mean it's hard to get fired from the government i was like ah, yeah, maybe yeah. that's not the right no there's a lot of turnover in this town there is a lot of turnover well, but okay so let's get this straight you created a not real political party you right. exercised your freedom of speech to raise awareness for something that's quite obvious, which is that both sides are not getting along. And you suggested something like, hey, what if we used reason yeah. um, in our arguments and you got fired? Yeah. And again, I don't, they didn't tell me that was specifically why, but I don't think I gave any other reason to let me go. <laughs> and I, just assume the guy he contacted the white the white house and they said yeah we don't need that position anymore 
So what about this Logos party when you kind of cooked up this idea and decided to write a book? What what did you hope to accomplish with it? I mean, what was the original goal? At first, it was just out of frustration. It was just like when I have a, when I'm frustrated with something, I start writing, and I, it's, I usually turn it into a fic in a novel or something. Like I wrote one novel called The God Fearing Atheist, which is the premise is a man born of multiple personality disorder, and one person is one personality is an atheist, the other one's a believer in God. And this is, I used to be a preacher and I left it. So this was like, that's how I dealt with my frustration was writing that novel. Oh, and wow. This, and similarly, the Logos party is just my frustration of living in this town where these two parties, I mean, I mean, as we progress as a country, you think enlightenment gets better and better and better, but it seems to be reversing back to like middle ages dogmatic thinking where if you think differently, you're an enemy. I think most people in this, a lot of people, they define reason this way. That is, that if you think the way I do, you're a person of reason. If you think differently, you're irrational. I think that's actually the exact opposite of how reason thinks. And so I just, instead of just laying out the principles of, uh, I created like six different conversations, political conversations. Um, it's either dogma versus dogma, the worst. Dogma versus dogma and reason. Dogma for, and reason versus and with dogma and reason. Reason versus and with dogma and reason and the best reason with reason where even though you have differences of opinion you're not there's no longer an us versus them mindset you're on the same team on the same goal of truth and progress and you value their differences of opinion kind of like the um the constitutional convention back in 1787 there was no parties and so you just had 55 people who brought all their differences of opinion together and that's what they wanted was all their differences of opinion so they could turn that little room in Philadelphia into a laboratory of ideas where they tested and challenged everything and made mutual compromises to find the best path forward. And four months later, they got, out came the Constitution. So it seems like a pretty, a much better atmosphere for progress than the current situation has become. And... So my goal was, honestly, I didn't have much. I was just, until I got fired, then I was kind of put a little more of a fire inside my belly. That's when I actually turned it into a book because it kind of, it, I mean, I was, after the shell shock of getting fired by the executive branch of the United States, I was like, you know what, let's just, let's turn this into a short book and see what you can, see what you can do with it. So what is the, the, what is the premise of the book? I mean, obviously, to, to have people be reasonable. I mean, reason versus reason is the goal. But like, what what do you hope to accomplish with the book? Right. Honestly, it was okay to define what reason is, because like I said, I think so many people operate from the idea that if you think the way I do, then you're rational, and if you think differently, you're irrational. But that's reason's not about so much the beliefs that we come to, but it's about the method of how we think. Mm -hmm. And I just try to put that within the idea and the framework of a political party. So most parties are platform-based, so they come up with a platform of policies, left or right or middle-leaning on the economy, national security, um, foreign policy, healthcare, and so on. And but they neglect the foundation on which those platforms are built and the logos party is like it's the foundation it, it's foundation focused not platform based and so it just says hey if this is a real party and you join this party then you're committing to the the same standard of reason i developed the, the 10 rules of reason that i have how i think a person of reason thinks 
and then you're you're basically bringing all your differences of opinion onto this same foundation and submitting your beliefs to this standard of reason to embrace intellectual diversity. May I open it for membership someday? I don't know, maybe after the presidential election, but right now it was just, like I'm considering creating a challenge for 2020. I haven't decided yet. Might hire some local film students and create the, the 2020 Reason with Reason challenge. Basically, no money involved, just you're, you're, by accepting the challenge, you are saying that as you talk politics during the 2020 during the year 2020, as we ramp up to the presidential election, that you will vow to try to cultivate reason with reason conversations with whoever you're talking to about politics, if you agree with them or not. And basically all that would mean is um, you can be blunt about it up front if you're going to talk about politics and say, okay, we can talk about politics and things we disagree on, but I want this, can we set the standard as reason with reason, which means that we're both willing to admit there's room for doubt, admit we could be wrong, welcome the other person challenging our beliefs, and both of us have minds that are open to being changed. That's like the basic training of reason, the, just the basic foundation of what it is. And then, um, yeah, I haven't decided if I'm going to do that yet or not, but I'm, I'm leaning towards maybe doing it. It sounds like a really good idea. So I'll tell you, um, in 2017, I had like a really bad year, and I looked around me and I was like, hey, there's way too much nonsense. I'm going to create a pledge. I'm going to have a year of no nonsense. And I I started this little thing. And like within two days, I had like a thousand people who were like, yeah, me too. Year of no nonsense. No more of this nonsense. And I mean, here I am. Was it that general? Yeah. Well, it had a pledge. Sure. You know, like I'm not going to entertain gossip and frenemies yep, yep. and people pleasing and all this. And th this is where like the year of no nonsense was born like two years ago. Right. And that's my nice. book coming out in four weeks. So... I would just say don't underestimate the power of the pledge because at the end of the day, when people are so tired of something and someone steps up and is like, hey, no more nonsense. People are like, yes, no more nonsense. So for you to be like, hey, let's use reason. People might be like, yes, <laughs> let's. Yeah. So I would I would do it, man. It's and a I'm thinking idea. because and this, this would be the video. Um, the... the the, the book is titled The Logos Party, Dr. Democracy's Remedy for Improving Political Dialogue. And Dr. Democracy is just this fictional character I created who is the embodiment of all the great democratic thinkers of history from Aristotle to Thomas Jefferson and John Locke and Teddy Roosevelt and JFK, all embodied in one person. And he came to visit me during the shutdown. I think I was getting lonely sitting at home during the shutdown. So I created a <laughs> character to come sit down and talk to me and, and diagnose the health of our democracy. And he... That's Funny. <laughs> he was he was he was hired by the founding fathers to sit on the constitutional convention to help the birth of their democracy go well. So I say he was kind of like a political OBGYN, and then he was stayed on, he stayed on staff until '92, when after the fall of the Soviet Union, the U.S. began to feel invincible, and so didn't think they needed a doctor anymore. So he's been working for the democracy since then. But he decided to come back to Washington during the shutdown. But but I think I, if for the for the challenge, I would dress up. I would wear scrubs and a long lab coat, and I'd pretend to be Dr. Democracy and explain this idea. Well, does Dr. Democracy have a sidekick called the Doctor of Nonsense? <laughs> sure. That, that kind of goes hand in hand. Or nurse. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Like, and here's the Doctor of Nonsense. Yeah. This is not... No, I'm just being stupid. No, no. Um, no, I think it's a really it's a really great idea. I mean, let's let's use an example. I don't know the impeachment. 
and how would reason with reason sort of approach sure. this whole situation that's yeah well like in the video or like in the in the book i, I explain this the six different types of like i say the foundation you put your beliefs on can either be reason dogma or a combination of the two mm-hmm. a lot of us are usually a combination of the two so we have some beliefs that we're actually open about and still challenge in our but there's other beliefs that we're dogmatic about. The goal was to all of them be on that foundation. But and I, but I, I would say that every time we have or politicians get together, if there was just a standard that we, we begin our conversation, like, hey, our standard is reason with reason, this simple. This is what reason is. No matter how much we disagree, we, it, we reject certainty. So we admit there's room for doubt in our views. We admit we could be wrong. We challenge our own beliefs yours. We welcome you challenging my, our beliefs because truth wants to be challenged. Only false ideas fear doubt because that's how they get exposed. And then our minds are truly open to being changed. And I feel like if you just set that standard at the beginning of every political discussion, it would help tamp down the dogma versus dogma. And then 20 minutes into the talk, if someone starts sounding dogmatic, you can always revert back to, hey, we did establish the standard of reason with reason that we all agreed to. So let's tamp it back. This is a conversation, not an argument. And it's simple, but I, I feel, I mean, it's helped me. I, I mean, I think Ben Franklin was the, was the master at this. He says that he, he got called out on being dogmatic in his 20s, and it changed his whole framework of thinking. So he never used the word certainty or undoubtedly anymore. Mm-hmm. And he was always willing to admit he could be wrong. He did it all the time, and he felt like, and he never caught when I, when, I, when he was pretty sure another person was wrong. He never took the pleasure of directly calling them out. But he was so much more subtle and saying, "You know what? I've been wrong a lot. Sometimes I read. What about this?" And I mean, just he was so much more subtle and, and diplomatic about it. It's probably um, we could credit that to him getting the French to actually finally come and help us and win the war because he was over there for years, and then they, they sent John Adams to try and make things go faster. And John Adams came at him so harshly, the, the king of France, that he didn't last long and they got sent to England. And then finally, Ben Franklin's style, which took longer, but eventually, I believe, helped get the conversation more to reason with reason. He convinced them to, to come and help. But he said that at the end of his life, he said, I've, I've mastered this ability so well that when I'm, when I'm wrong, I'm less embarrassed because I wasn't dogmatic about it. And when I'm right and another person is wrong, they're more. I've been I've been more productive in actually getting them to see that because their defenses don't go up right away because I don't call them out directly. I'm more subtle in in my methods. And so, in the last 50 years of his life, he says he doesn't think he ever uttered a dogmatic phrase because yeah. he became so good at it. That's and he incredible. had more. He had more influence that way because of his, his subtle way of doing it instead of the John Adams way of just trying to beat people over the head with it. Right. And you and when you have people or you encounter people in your life who have this sort of Ben Franklin reasoning or you know personality it you kind of it's rare but I can think of a few people that I've encountered in my life that have acted that way and have conducted themselves that way and when I think about them, I think, you know, what great people and how much respect I have for them and how right. little respect I have for the hot-headed people right. who just fly off the handle. And so the next question is, like, how do we 
how do we get there? I mean, it seems, and well, I guess the first question is, is the political climate right now truly the worst in history? In American history? Yeah, in America. Like, do you think we're there, or is this uh, our generation saying it's the worst? And I think I think there's always that 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 uh, we, so so many times we try to we we mythologize the past and say it was always better back then, but. Uh, I mean, there was a civil war, so. <laughs> right. I mean, besides <laughs> so that's, that. That's two sides that. who aren't use, who chose to not reason, have reason with reason conversations. I right. like to say, if we allow reason be violent in our minds, because reason is violent, it, it's like a, a, a weapon of mass destruction that tries to destroy all of our false ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. If we allow reason to be violent in our minds, then it makes us peaceful outwardly. But if we allow dogma to reign in our minds, then it, and we try to. And we don't allow reason to be violent. We try to just keep all of our beliefs in order and hang on to them and cling to them, even if they are false. Then we become violent outside to protect those. And I would say that the Constitutional Convention was maybe the best example, but I think it ebbs and flows. Um, I don't know if it's the worst. It might sound seem worse because of social media, but right, I do right. think that cable cable news is definitely added to the mix because people were not there's not three news stations that everybody watches so they're getting the same information that's no longer that way so you can truly it may be as, as obvious as it has seemed this past week at the um, impeachment hearings there might be people millions of people who just don't watch it live during the day and they just hear about it on the, their preferred news station at night and they get a, a, a softened version of what was just shown to us all right. and right. Um, I think it just requires Epic examples, I mean, of, of reason with reason. In 2008, John McCain almost gave us a bipartisan ticket. He wanted Lieberman, a Democrat, or at least he had been a Democrat for most of his career, and he kind of was a, considered himself a Democratic independent and then, but he wanted Lieberman to be his VP running mate, so it would have been a Republican Democratic ticket. Mm-hmm. But he gave in to the pressure of the Republican Party and chose Palin, and, and McCain, he later said he regretted that decision as maybe one of his biggest mistakes because he felt like the anti-intellectualism of Palin and the dogma that she brought helped lead to maybe, I mean, there's no way to quantify it specifically, but it may have helped lead to the current system, whereas if he had done the other way, it could have created a culture where we aren't, we, we don't see each other as enemies. Imagine a bipartisan White House for eight years. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, people would have, they still would have maybe had some... Um, frustration with the other side, but it would have been a lot harder to hate the other side when you see every day a Democrat VP and a Republican president shaking hands in the Oval Office and sitting down and having a cordial conversation. So I almost feel like, and this this is going to sound really weird, but I feel. Did you ever see the movie Powder with the? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I kind of feel like you're Powder, but not like with the like you know the superpowers and right. the super pale skin. But I feel like you in this idea is almost like this big heart and that at some point like everyone's gonna get it you know what i mean like that it makes so much sense when to hear you say this like why in the world is our is our government why why is the world why are people at the coffee shop uh and in the grocery store not approaching each other that way from not even i mean if you even take politics out of it just from a humanity standpoint kindness love Um, why are we not acting this way? Like, what What do you think? What is going on? I mean, is this really a power struggle? Is this ego? Like, what at the core is causing 
the inability or not the inability, the unwillingness perhaps to make a change? Or is this a case of um, this is just how it's been done? I read a book. It's called The Crowd. It was written in 1896. And don't, it, it's honestly, it was like Sigmund Freud. It, it helped inspire so much of his work, but I was also like Hitler and Mussolini's Bible, but it was basically just a psycho- psychological study of the masses, the mass mindset. Absolutely brilliant book. And he's like, the, the masses don't hunger for truth. They think they, they hunger for their opinion of the truth. And so if you find someone who can balance that and, sh- and make them think that they're hungering for truth when it's just their opinion and feed them with the the propaganda instead, then it can rally the masses. And I mean, you saw it in Germany in the thirties and forties. You can see it. I'm not, I don't want to say this is nowhere near that extreme, but one person can pull that out of millions of people. And it's not just one person's fault. It's the dogma is, it's a drug and it's, um, it, it, it's just that intoxicating feeling that it's I'm right. I know I'm right. 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 It is. Yeah. You rally around a single idea, and I like. I, I, this is how the Logos Party is. The we all want to be part of a group of like-minded people, and most people want to be part of a group of like-minded people around the platform issues like national security, healthcare, abortion, LGBTQ rights. Um, the environment, and so on and so on. But the Logos Party is the idea of being a group of like-minded people around that foundation of reason. And then on top of that, you embrace the intellectual diversity of of all the differences of opinion. So it's still a group of like-minded people, but they're like-minded in that they're intellectually humble. So they admit they could be wrong. They're lifelong learners. Their mind is open to being changed. So it's It's still... It's almost like a bottom up, like when you say foundation, like you're building everything from the bottom up, whereas when you approach something dogmatically, you're just like top heavy. Yeah. It's not, yeah. Yeah. You start, well, okay, I used to be a preacher. I don't know where where you are, but I... I grew up in lots of church, so... Well, (laughs) I used to be a preacher, and I used to think that I was being rational on things that I said from the pulpit, but I realized that so often... What I did was I started with my belief and I worked backwards and just found arguments and evidence that I thought supported them instead of what a true scientist does, which is, okay, they throw out a hypothesis. They want to find the truth on this subject, so they start somewhere and just throw out a hypothesis, but they actually allow the evidence and the arguments to lead them. So they might have 10 hypotheses and theories destroyed on the way to getting to the eventual truth. But their goal is truth, not their opinion of the truth. So they'll allow those 10 theories to be destroyed because their goal is what is the objective reality of the the laws of physics or the nature of um, the quantum realm or whatever. And yeah, so but like when I was a preacher, I did it backwards. And so I would start with my opinion and then find the arguments and evidence that I thought supported it and ignored all the ones that did it. And that's. It's, it's filtered now into politics as well. So, hypothetical world. The Logos Party is in charge of the current political climate. Sure. <laughs> and it is, um, by a stroke of imag- like genius, it is the one conducting the current impeachment hearings and presented with all the evidence and communicating to the media. What does the Logos Party do with what is currently on the table like what does that look like reason 
for reason, how would that interpret what's going on right now? Well, how it would, would, t- it would take, it? I mean, it would, it would take all of the witnesses at their word, but counter them with each other to make sure it, you, every, it's hard. You can't go into a situation without a preconceived notion, but you, you hold, you don't allow that preconceived notion to be unwilling to be changed. And I mean, are you saying that there's, there's Republicans and Democrats also sitting on the panel and like the, the, the head of the, of the, of the, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess I just, yeah, maybe okay. you're like the moderator. If, 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 the, yeah, if the truth is that this, the guy's guilty, this all happened, which is what it looks like, then you would have people who started off with supporting him, changing their mind and saying, okay, it happened. Now, what do we do? Is it worth removing from office? What's the punishment of it? This is the obvious reality. Our minds have been, we're open to being changed. They now have been changed because all of these um, credible witnesses who were on the call or nearby hearing it have corroborated that this did in fact happen. So minds would actually be changed, whereas it doesn't look like there's many minds that I think maybe that inwardly they've been changed, but outwardly they would actually yeah, show right. that that change happened, and they might not right. be willing to show that that change has happened. And so then the next reasonable question would be, which I thought was interesting that you raised, like what next? And and I think that's always a really valuable question in any any sort of situation where you're using reason. Like what next? What what now that we know this truth? What next? And so right. you know that's what you what... just said about is this worth removing from office i mean that's a different you know that's a question that's i mean i guess it's going to be asked but there's no there's no objective standard of measuring right high crimes and misdemeanors is was written in such a general way because i think the founders had no idea what future generations would would come across and they understood that so they wrote in a general way for each of us to interpret for ourselves so we have to decide for ourselves and now you mean you just put it to a vote like what they're going to do and there are there are rules of if 60 percent of the the house in the senate say it removed then that's what happens but and they'll they'll lean on you give the american people the facts as is and also go off of their opinions as well but ultimately it comes down to the the house vote but if it's still so partisan then it won't look as credible because there has to be some, there has to be a mixture for it to look more credible. Right. Or else it just looks like it was just a partisan thing. And so both sides can, one side can say, you're not looking at the facts that are obvious. And the other side can say, you just have a, you just have a hit, have it out for this guy instead of looking at the actual reality. Yeah. Well, so much fun. So I'm going to let you go and get back to the the television. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Before you go, this podcast is called The Same 24 Hours, meaning that we all have the same 24 hours in our day. But it's what we do in those 24 hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success, and perhaps reason. (laughs) So what is something that you do on a daily basis that you believe helps contribute to your greatest life? Oh, uh, well, I don't do it every day, but going to the gym definitely <laughs> because you can just feel the tension build up inside of you after two day, two or three days of not having a good workout. So that definitely yes, it releases everything. It seems like at least temporarily, but I take time to not do anything as well. 
I've realized the importance of um, sitting still and not reading something, not always watching something, not always doing something. That has really helped me because I always used to think that was a waste of time. And yeah. now I just realize that's that's kind of vital to sanity. So true. Have you read Ryan Holiday's new book, Stillness I've, is Key? No. It's good. It's good. I, Stillness I like, is Peace. I like, yeah. Or no, up. Stillness is the Key. Sorry. Oh, Stillness is the um, Key. Got it. Yeah. He's one of, he wrote Ego's the Enemy and he's all into stoicism and stuff. And um, I subscribe to the Daily Stoic, which is an email. It's awesome. I'm like so into everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Daily Stoic. Yeah. I, I guess I, did, I just didn't put the name to the. Yeah. Yeah. I know so, the brand more than his name. Yeah. But his new book, Stillness is the Key, is really awesome. Really definitely. awesome. So if you're into that, it would be good. Yeah, definitely. Well, Dustin, thank you so much for this time. I think we could talk forever about the current state. But, I mean, I love it. I feel like it's. I feel like the Logos Party is a perfect companion to a year of no nonsense. And yeah, I think right? we should just take this show on the road. Because, definitely. Um, it really is very simple what you're proposing. But apparently no one is doing it. So... Thanks for the encouragement on the the challenge. I think I might have joined the the challenge for 2020. Yeah. I mean, if you you get it done and you get it going, just shout out and I will push it to my channels. Awesome. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.